got milk. We're, we're going we're gonna to kind of define something, then we're going to get to the sincerity of the Word of God next week. But this is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 in the NIV, and it says this. Like newborn babes, crave spiritual milk. That you may grow up and buy it, that you may grow up in your salvation. He's telling you, you should demand the Word of God. That you'll grow up. Grow up in your salvation. Now, if you're visiting here this morning, we know that you can't earn your way to heaven. That's not what he's referring to. Salvation is so-so. And, and every once in a while, I'll take a beating because I'll say words that may be complicated, but just because you hadn't heard before doesn't mean it's not true. Because I'll tell you, the Bible said in Jeremiah that, that the, the sun stands upon the circle of the earth. Jeremiah knew something that way before Columbus figured it out. Truth is truth. Truth is not for your decision. Truth is for your discovery. So whether you understand it or not, or perceive it or not, it doesn't mean that it changed the fact of truth. So growing up in your salvation, that it means that salvation is so-so, it means mind, spirit, and body. So we are, we are this trichotomy. We, we, we had three compartments that we need to grow. And just to say, I, I, I've been baptized and I'm going to heaven, but I'm licking it like hell, that doesn't really cut it. Are you with me? I mean, throwing fits and throwing timbers and doing this and trashing out people's, it, that doesn't cut anything. So, so he's telling us that he wants us to grow up in our salvation. So I've said this a thousand times, maybe to, not in front of you, but I've said it a thousand times, that there, there's, there's three keys for you attending church that the first church knew. To show up, to listen up, to grow up. That's it. You've got to show up. And don't give me this thing, I can hear God at home. That is bogus. I'm, I'm with you on that, but that's not the way he set it up. He said it's in the assemblies of the brethren. And where I'm being praised, I'll manifest my, my, when my name is manifest, I will manifest myself in my presence to you. There's something about coming together. I'm not saying that he's not going to meet you at home. I'm not saying that. But when you, you stand away from church as a crutch, listen, you may be on your own. Somebody said, well, you need to go find yourself. I found myself, and I wasn't impressed at all. Been there, done that? No big deal. So the idea is show up. You're here. Turn to somebody and say, I'm here. Here's a tricky one. Listen up. Oh, that leaves out about 90% of you. And here gets the rest of us. Grow up. For 32 years I've been here, and I wish, I wish, I know they showed up, but I can assure you they never grew up because they never listened up. You can't help but to grow up if you listen up. So turn to somebody right quick and say, listen, I, I know what you're doing is important, and, but listen, don't distract me because I really need to grow up some areas of my life, and, and, and I, I need some maturity and development, and I need to listen up today what's going to happen. So that's, that's what's going to happen. So growing up, growing up, maturing, developing. And so that's what we're going to talk about gap milk today. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Now, we, we've talked about this a thousand times, but I'm, I'm going to say something kind of simple and easy with you today, and then I'll break you into long sermons. And they, the first church, or these disciples, after the day of Pentecost, they continued steadfastly in the four areas, apostle doctrine, fellowship, and breaking bread and prayers. You've heard me say this a thousand times, this one verse. 
But the word apostle doctrines, I, I want to I clarify this for some of you. So I need some of you to listen up. Apostles doctrine. It's very important that you understand what they're referring to as apostles doctrine. If you are going to be part of this growing and developing, it's the first church, they said these four areas that we have to have in our life, the word apostles doctrine is actual and factual accounts of the words of Jesus. Not secondhand information, not some guy on the FM station at 12 a.m. reciting poems. Apostles' doctrines is not Peter, James, and John saying, I believe and I think. Apostles' doctrines, by definition, is where we get a word for, we'll talk about expository. It's actual and factual accounts of the words of Jesus. Now then, we've gone through this, but I'm going to show you in Acts chapter 1, verse 22, there were two requirements to become an apostle. Two. Number one, they had to be an eyewitness of the baptism of Jesus when the Holy Spirit came down and God opened up the heaven and spoke and said, What? This is my son. They had to be there. Number two, Acts 1 and 22, they had to be an eyewitness of his resurrection. If you were not an eyewitness of his baptism, and you were not an eyewitness or have his resurrection, or if you were there for the baptism and missed out on the resurrection, but you got the resurrection and missed out on the, on the baptism, you are not a candidate to be an apostle. Are you all with me? So you're saying, well, what's the big deal about that? It's a big deal! Because I'm up to here with these people saying, well, God said, I'm going to tell you right now, God probably didn't say that. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, truth bears witness with truth. And when they opened up their mouth and I heard this, I'm going to say right now, I don't know where you got that, but that's not truth. So what happens is, is that the apostles' doctrine has everything to do with number one and number two. They had to be an eyewitness of the baptism of Jesus, God coming down. And, and I use this word, I told Neil, it's, this is the deal. It's information versus confirmation. The Apostle Doctrine is expository teaching. Now, expository teaching, by, by definition, in a smaller English word, it means to expound, or it's a Latin word to go on and on. How many knows that I understand about going on and on? Stephen Bishop wrote a song about that down in Jamaica, but it's not the same thing. On and on. So expository means to teach or to expound. So it doesn't mean I'm just saying something and, and, and you go figure it out. I was raised in a church... And then when I first got back in church, I was under a pastor for a little bit, and he would say something, but he would not go on on. He would just make a bullet statement and left it at that. And I wasn't satisfied with that. I want to know, like Paul Harvey, I want to know the rest of the story. And some of you probably don't, but I enjoy telling to you whether you like it or not. See? I got one back there. <laughs> So what is expository teaching? And here's the definition. Here's the, here's the lexicon definition. It means this. It means it's the explanation of the Old Testament scriptures being connected to the New Testament believers. And you're going, what? And some of you think, well, I thought the apostles' doctrine was just preaching the word. Once again, once again. You're half right and you're half wrong. The apostles' doctrine was the words that came out of the men's mouth, they were eyewitnesses of the confirmation of Jesus at baptism and the eyewitness 
of his resurrection and with 40 days of infallible proofs that Jesus walked with them, talked with them, touched them, loved them, ate with them, ate fish and bread and, and did all these things until in Luke 24 and Acts chapter 1, which is the same writings, that the angels took him up to heaven. For 40 days, these men held him and embraced him. And I'll tell you what, that may be hard for you to swallow, but it doesn't matter if you're hard for you to swallow. It's truth. Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And for 40 days with infallible proofs, after he was resurrected, I mean, he wasn't like that satellite that shot through the air that night. I mean, Jesus come back and visit and talk to the men to confirm the information that they had. Confirmation and information. Expository teaching, which I try to do, it means I try to explain what I mean. And it takes me a while. But, but there, are, there are many things that are connected to it. So the, when we use the definition that the explanation of the Old Testament Scriptures being connected to the New Testament believers, it means they had information of what the Old Testament said, but the Apostle Doctrine confirmed that information. It wasn't anything new. I'm against newness. I'm against anybody saying, oh, there's a new thing going on. That scares me. There's a new way. There's, there's, there's new this. If you'll just shut off the lights and turn on a smoke machine and pink mirrors, something will happen. That's what I'm afraid of. So I'm not against mirrors and smoke and don't leave mirrors. Well, I don't care what you say about me. You said everything else about me. I'm just telling you that what happens is the apostles' doctrine is not anything new that they haven't heard before. It is confirming what they already have heard. There you go. So now then, I want to give you a couple of applications before we mosey along. Shall we? Yes. It means letting the Scriptures speak for themselves. Apostles' doctrine, by definition, means letting the Scriptures speak for themselves. So, I went to help Mike Friday. He don't know this, but I stopped and got some gas. I was out of gas. I didn't feel like pushing my pickup. So I stopped in Dixon, and I was pumping gas, and I don't know anybody in Dixon. And somebody hollered, Papa Jody! So I looked around, and it's either daycare or a man, somebody. And sure enough, it's a guy that I hadn't seen in a long time, part of the man's group. Here he comes. Gave me a big old bear hug, and we talked a little bit. And he said this, and I said, how are you doing? And we talked just for a few moments, and he said, well, at least I can look you in the eye. And I said, we know the Bible says this. And I mean, you know how that goes. So he said, I think I'll sit down because I've heard these lectures before. So he sat down in the back of my tailgate, and all I did is I let the, speak, the Scripture speak. If you've been around me long, and if you know that it's really, it's not really my idea, my thoughts, the Scriptures speaks in my life. Say, that's the whole deal. And so here, here is about three simple examples of, of what this has referred, referred to, reference to. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. But Peter standing up with eleven. Now we know the eleven is not Judas. We know it's Matthias. Lifted up his voice, this is the day of Pentecost, and said unto them, you men of Judea and all that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you that hearken to my words. For these men are not drunken as you suppose, seeing that it's only the third hour of the day. It's early in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by Joel. Now when he said this is that was spoken by Joel, they went kind of, 
No. He could have said this. He could have said, oh, this is the Holy Spirit and we're on fire and we're going to set you fire and we're going to incinerate the whole movement. If he'd have said that, they'd have, they'd have probably shoved him off the cliff then. What did he do? He said, oh, I'm telling you right now, this ain't nothing new, boys. This is that, what Joel prophesied. Show Joel 2 and 28. And it shall come to pass that afterward that I'll pour up my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your old men, Ron Age, shall dream dreams and your young men, Jody Ham, shall see visions. <laughs> he said, this is that that Joel prophesied. He's, they're not making anything else. They're confirming to the information they already had. All Peter is doing is letting the scripture speak. You see that? Because these men, these devout Jews are not stupid. They're devout for a reason. They're very acquainted with the scriptures. And he said, man, this is not a, a new fad. This is, this is what was prophesied hundreds of years ago. And now today, it's coming to pass. Acts chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Watch this. And boy, Peter's on a roll. Talking about Jesus. And him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God that you have taken, and by the wicked hands you have crucified and slain whom God has raised up, having loosed from the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Verse 25. For David, here we go. For David speaketh concerning him, Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Hey, who is this guy, Peter, that's coming up all these scriptures? We ain't heard Peter say anything intelligent in, in three years. Everything that's coming out of his mouth is just, Dumb. And all of a sudden, he's a prophet. Did you ever think about this? This is found in Psalms chapter 16, verses 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. Peter is saying the same thing that David said. Peter's not saying anything new. The apostle's doctrine is he's allowing the scriptures to speak for themselves. And the last one, here we go, Acts chapter 2, 29 through 31. Peter's still on the road, men and brethren. Let me freely speak unto you that about Patriarch David, that he both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us even unto this day. It's right over there, he said. Therefore, being a prophet, which is David, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins according to the flesh, that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, verse 31, and he seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul would not be left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. Psalm 16 and 10, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, and neither will you allow or suffer my Holy One to see corruption. Peter is not coming up with something new. Peter, the Apostle's doctrine, is just letting the Scriptures speak for themselves. I wrote in here that these men did not rely upon, they, these men only relied upon the power of the message, not the presentation of the messenger. And I'm, I'm sad and I'm ashamed to say this to you, that we've got this so reversed today, it's not even funny. We do not rely upon the power of the message anymore. We depend upon the presentation of the messenger. And that's probably why we're in the shape that we're in. Hmm. 
These men didn't have silly sayings, quirky quotes. They only had the Word of God to speak for them. They only spoke the Word of God. And for the first time ever, Peter, by the Holy Spirit, starts in Acts chapter 2, and you ought to read it. It's really funny. He starts quoting all these prophets. And I'm sure the other 11 that are with him is saying, who are you and what did you do with our friend Peter? They've never heard him talk like this. Peter's always said words like, you know, this and that, and can I be first, and can I sit by you, and, and this and that. And he's always saying dumb things. And even, and even Jesus one time said, I rebuke you, Satan. Speak, look it right at Peter. But now then, Peter has, by the Holy Spirit, has figured out the Scriptures can speak for themselves. And there's a saying that says this, you don't have to defend the lion. The lion will defend for himself. All you have to do is turn the lion loose. He'll defend for himself, see. So what happens is you don't have to apologize. You don't have, as we go through life as Christians, we don't have to apologize. We don't have to make up stuff. We don't have to have fancy presentations. All we need to do is to be good messengers of the Word of God, and the Scriptures will speak and stand for themselves. The Apostles' doctrine is simply this, is saying what God has already said. I'm very leery if anybody said, well, the Lord appeared to me. I said, really, I'd like to hear this. Yes, he appeared to me. We, we gathered some moral mushrooms and we had a funny one and we cooked it in a broth and I saw some things. I'm sure you did. <laughs> so the Bible says this, let everything be established in the witnesses of two or three. Let them examine it. Let it go over and let them, let them search the scriptures. Let them do the examination and if it'll prove the litmus test, then it'll stand. Anything, can, can you just, I mean, do you ever wonder why I go to a lot of trouble to do this? And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not for my benefit because this is tough for me to do. It's tough for me to follow this. It really is. I like to go. But I do this so you can write it down and look at it, and then you can go home and examine it and say, hey, I, want, I think that guy's full of gas. But once you begin to look at it in this expository teaching and explain it, you go, you know, I didn't understand it. And I'll tell you, in 30-something years, you don't know how many people said that. You know, when I first heard that, I didn't receive that, and I spit it out. But when I begin to investigate it and, and, and digest it, it's truth. Absolutely. So what happens is, this is why I do this for your sake and your benefit. Take it, write it down, go home, read it, examine it. The apostle doctrines are these men that not only had information, but they had confirmation of what God had already said. So why is expository teaching so important? So you may say, well, why in the world do you, do you go through all the on and on and the expounding and the hammering and the breaking and the dividing? Can't you just throw it out there and give us some fluff and go home? The answer is no. No, I can't. That's just not the way I operate. So what happens is the reason why it's so important, so here's some fun facts that you're going to discover while you're studying some scripture. And, and listen, I appreciate all the authors and I appreciate their autobiographies and all, but listen, that doesn't take the place of scriptures in the right context. So don't ever read somebody's book and, and, and then they take a scripture or half a scripture to, to validate what they're saying because that scripture may not be in, in the contents of what Jesus is speaking. So that's why we just got to be a good student of the Word of God. The Bible said that, that in Thessalonians, the Bereans were good students of God's Word. 
It means they just wasn't gullible. They're students. Dr. Mazo means they, they, they did autopsy on it. They opened it up. They tested it. They put it in a, in a beaker tube. They lit a fire, and it came out to be truth. Every one of you should be that way. So these are some fun facts as you begin to study the Scriptures. Number one, you're going to discover God in a better way. It's called theology. Theos is God, and where we get word for theos and logos is the words of God, and so you put them both together, it means a study of God, who God is. And it's not that spooky. Theos, theology. Theology in definition means the study of God. His ways, His wills, His purposes. So when you really begin to study the Word of God, you, you, will, you will discover God in, in a better way. Number two, what I'm going to refer to as you'll discover yourself in a different way. It's called meology. Now I'm going to say this slowly to you, all you perfect people. This is a very dangerous thing until you get to the second one. And when you really read the scriptures and understand meology, you're going to understand mankind is messed up. The heart is deceitful above all things. When you really begin to understand the scriptures, you're going to read about men in the Old Testament and women in the Old Testament and the New Testament that had a longing for God and a love for God. But boy, they were messed up. And I think it was Houchin. He said, how in the world, he asked me, how in the world can a man love God and follow God and do that? And I said, he's a man. And make no mistake, my friend, you're no better than that. We're all in mankind. You've heard it said that my parents had three children, one of each. I think we were that third one, whatever that was. Mankind, we're messed up. And when you understand, when you understand, Rob, that when you understand meology, it means a study of myself, and you really look at yourself without God, that's the moment you say, I need a Savior. I need a helper. Because when you, when you, even though you understand theology about the, the concept of God, but you don't do a good, thorough examination of meology, as David said, who am I that you made a little lower than the angels? Who am I that you're mindful of me? Vile and wicked, sinner. When you really understand who we are and who God is, it makes you more appreciative of what God has done for you. You understand that? So when I read the scriptures, I don't leave out that part about wretched and Brother Don gave us a, uh, a report this morning on the works of the flesh and he went through all the works of the flesh, about 17 and really 16, but 17 and we all said amen, you know, we agreed to him. And, but the thing about it is, it, it, it reminds us that we need a Savior. It reminds us that we are full of hate, wrath, jealousy, pride, anger, all this stuff. So this is what I do when I read the scriptures. Don't just read God is good. I'm, I'm almost sick of hearing that. Not really. I know he's good. I know that. But you're living like hell while you're talking about God is good. In the scriptures about meology, you'll really find out how wretched and sinful and corrupt mankind is. And at that moment, not only we need him for our being born again, but watch this. But after we get born again, Mike Phillips, I need him every day that he ends with why. Because as Brother Don told us today, that we're subject to go back to that old humanity's ways. So every morning when I get up about 6 o'clock, 
I say, God, so far, I have not messed up yet. But whatever the day holds, I know that you know me, but I'm so thankful that you've allowed me to know me. And as David said, my frame is dust. I need you. When I say dust, it means that the little bit of breeze and dust will blow it away. And the last one, what I'm going to refer to as neology. Not like neology, but neology. Neology. Kneeling is a word that means it is an action in our English language that is the act of devoting one's life to another and honor that life. When you bow a knee in body language, especially in, in proposing, you get the idea that you're surrendering and you're kind of surrendering, but that doesn't mean like that. <laughs> Bowing is surrendering. Kneeing is honoring. So the language in, in, in kneelology, kneeling is this. I am kneeling, and by my kneeling, I'm devoting my life to you. And I will honor you the rest of your life. That's what that means. And so he will soon find out that his whole life and his job and and, the, and that 17 children that you're going to have and all that. <laughs> and he'll honor you. And, and, and he'll take his mind and his heart and his ambitions and his desire and he'll lay it at your feet. And he'll spend the rest of his life honoring you. That's what that means. See? By kneeling is I give you my heart. You did, didn't you? Thank you. <laughs> so when you study the scriptures, you'll get to know God better because His theology and know about His ways and His will and His mind and His heart and His precepts and His all these things. And then as you study the scripture, you'll begin to see that I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm, I'm a wretched individual. I, I'm, I was a sinner saved by grace, but every day of my life that I, I need His empowerment of the Holy Spirit I need His Word being activated in my life. What good is a cell phone if you don't activate it? I need it to be activated in my life. But the third thing that I've learned through the years is that God has taught me about kneeling. Now, I want to say something that's going to kind of sting a little bit, but okay, it's okay. God's not my buddy. But I will tell you that that the moment that I got saved and I understand who I was and who God is, He taught me neology. And when I understood that, then my whole life every day is that I devote myself to Him. My heart, my ambitions, my desires, my dreams, all that stuff, I got on one knee and I just, I just kneeled to Him and I said, it's it, I want to serve you and I devote my time, energy, talent, money, everything I have, I devote it to you, and I'm going to honor you. That is your purpose as a believer.
And if you haven't found that neology in the Bible, please come to see me. I'll help you with it. So this morning, I want to finish with this. To go back to this word continue that was found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You've heard me talk about this, but this is a, this is a funny word called continue. And by definition, it's proskotero. But the word pros means to be addicted to opium. So by definition, it wasn't something that you could take when you wanted to or leave when you wanted to, but by definition, this means to be addicted to, to adhere to, to be attached to, to be stuck to. Never abandon, never give up on, and never move from. And when you put that in the contents of the Apostles' Doctrine, it says something like this, but they, the first church, was addicted to, they adhered to, they never moved from the words of the Scriptures. And I want that to be our prayer. When you bury me, I at least want you to say the boy was a servant to the Word. I didn't always agree with him. But one thing about it, he was a servant to the Word. And it would behoove us to be addicted to the Word. It would behoove us to be attached to the Word. It would behoove us to be so connected with the Word that it transforms us. So, as we study the Scriptures, the Apostles' Doctrine, I pray that you'll find God in a better way. I pray that you'll see yourself in a different way. And last but not least, I hope that you'll discover your purpose on your way. Just honoring God. The Scriptures are sacred. The precepts are true and trustworthy. They contain food to satisfy and to sustain you. Hope to comfort you and a light to guide you. They have the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, and the compass for Christians. Read them carefully, thoughtfully, frequently, prayerfully. They will lead you to heaven. They will take you to the Father. So the question before we give you the definition to, to the sincerity of the milk of the Word, I really want to clarify what the Apostles' Doctrine was. And so this morning, as we kind of understand that we're going to be good students of God's Word and we're going to search the Scriptures and we're going to understand that God is good and He is, and we're going to understand that, that, that mankind is messed up, we just need Jesus every day, and number three, that our purpose in life is to devote our lives to Him. So this morning, Father, we just pray that You'd give us guidance and directions through Your Word. The Apostles' Doctrine. Confirmation to the information that the Jews already knew. And so this morning, that I pray for everyone that is going to make it their, their life to pursue You and understand You and 
understand that we can trust you when we can't even trust ourselves. That's why we teach expository teaching. Because your word says that your grace and your mercy has no end. And so, Father, that's the love that we need to come to get a hold of this morning, that you love us with an everlasting love before the foundations of the earth, before we were even created, that you loved us, your sons and daughters. Thank you through the years that I really got to see who I am and what I can be and what I've become. And, man, we're just messed up from time to time. We need Jesus. We don't need positive thinking. We need the power of the Holy Spirit invading our heart and our minds. But most important, I need to understand this is about you. This is not the size of church we're trying to build. This is not a ministry that we're trying to proclaim. This is about, as Michael showed us this morning, getting on our knees and honoring the one we love. And Father, I found out a long time ago that if I, if I really loved you, like I said, I would honor you. I would devote my life to you. I would surrender my time, talent, and energy and resources to you. Help us to do that. That you be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you believe anything that I told you this morning, stand and give the Lord a praise offering, would you please? Huh? Honoring. So there's no altar call. You know that. I'm just going to ask you a couple questions. I believe that you love God. I believe that you understand that you're capable of being a mess. And, and I understand that you need Jesus almost every day of your life to help you. But the third one is what I'm going to ask you. Are you honoring God? Are you honoring God with your finances? Are you honoring God with your time? Are you just honoring God? I mean, do you understand that He's the King of all glory? I mean, He... He's the King of my heart. He's the lover of my soul. He, and because I understand who I was and I understand who He is, that I bow the knee every day of my life. And I've chosen to devote my life to Him. So that's all I'm asking you. Do you understand neology? What this thing is all about? It's about honoring God. So let's do that. As we finish up next week about the sincerity of the word, let's honor God. Let's glorify Him in Jesus' name. If our communion service will please come. You know, this, this communion is, is honoring God. It's just honoring God. Now, myself, on, on 
on most family meals when the kids were at home, but on myself, I never refused too many meals. But I will tell you that my wife has, has labored, especially holiday meals for the family and so on and so forth. And I'm sure nothing hurts her feeling more is for somebody to snub their nose and say, I'm not hungry. I'm hoping this morning that you understand what we're doing. And if you don't understand it, I'm going to help you. Celebrating Holy Communion is honoring God. It's honoring His Son, Jesus. And the reason why we do this is because He told us to do it. He didn't say it would be a good idea. He told us to do it. He didn't say if you feel like it or if you've been a good boy or a good girl this week. He said do it because every time you do it, it'll always remind you of my son Jesus. <laughs> and I pray that you break every mirror in your heart that you would want to pay attention to your own good deeds and fix your eyes upon Christ today. He sat down with the, the eleven that night and he said, for 1,500 years you've been going through a, a ceremony, an ordinance, and you would take the unleavened bread, which represents bread that the leaven has been extracted, a bread of haste. But Jesus said, now then, I am the bread of life. And as often as you take this bread, it will remind you of me and my words and my sayings. And he took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, for 1,500 years you've been celebrating the Passover, taking the lamb's blood and applying to the, to the door in the shape of a cross. But Jesus said, now then I am the the Lamb of God that takes away all the sins and my blood will be taken and placed in the shape of a cross. Do it and it will remind you of me. So Father, as we celebrate Holy Communion this morning, we're not just going to run through here like herding cattle. Three things we ask you help us to know more about you. Number two, help us to realize how frail we are without you. And number three, help us to understand our purpose is just to honor you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.